The internet is such an incredibly competitive market and information flows very rapidly about which company offers the best service. And the internet market, just in general, is a winner-take-all market. Everyone gravitates toward the number one product. It's great to be number one, it sucks to be number two. And in order to be number one in something, um, you know, you have to put a lot of resources and really focus on it. You know, as a company, White Pages, with our relatively small size of only 130 employees, you know, we can focus maybe on two or three things and be a clear leader on that. We can't do 10 things at once. Hi, Alex. Hi, Jeff. How are you today? Great, great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for doing this interview. Um, would you mind introducing yourself and, and giving a, a bio? Let's see, I'm a, a founder and CEO of White Pages, um, and that sums up pretty much all of my professional career. I grew up as a kid in uh, Sweden and Vancouver, BC, and then I came down to the States for college. I uh, kind of got stuck down here on this side of the border ever since. Yeah. After college, um, well actually during college, I, uh, I started uh, this little website, whitepages.com, and um, uh, but it wasn't, I, I wasn't quite ready to go straight from school uh, into the business, so I ended up doing uh, investment banking, covering the high-tech sector. So I did a year uh, on Wall Street, decided for various reasons that uh, it wasn't my thing, didn't like it. Frankly, whitepages.com was doing well enough that um, it was an easy decision to just switch over to that. My one year of non-White Pages experience was, uh, was Goldman Sachs. Um, I actually did also found another company um, which became the, uh, the leading automotive enthusiast uh, community uh, on the web, Car Domain. Um, and I spent a few years kind of going back and forth a little bit between White Pages and Car Domain. But for the past six years or so, it's been all White Pages. What's exciting you most about your role right now? Um, what excites me the most, I'd say, is you know, working, uh, innovating, uh, making a big impact. We're a very small team. Um, I like to say that we're tiny on the inside and huge in external impact on the outside. Um, there's only 130 employees at the company, yet we serve over 50 million unique users per month accessing our websites and our mobile apps and so forth. I like the feeling of making an impact and a positive difference in the world based on all the users and customers that we have. We have a great team of people here, and um, uh, nothing's better than working with great people, and nothing's more frustrating than working with not great people. So I'm a very happy, happy guy these days. So you guys are, are a fairly mature company now. You've been, you've been around for a while. How do you remain kind of innovative and startup-y after being around <laughs> this long? You know, it's funny. I, I, I don't look at us as a mature company. That's like a bad label, I think. <laughs> I think we're in a little bit of denial, too, because uh, we've been around for a long time. I mean, you know, I founded the website in the late 90s. We were incorporated as a business in 2000. Hmm. So no matter how you count it, we're certainly well over 10 years old. Um, but I think as a team, um, maybe we're kind of in a collective denial to some extent, because if you walk the hallways here, if you talk to the people, if you look at how we do business and how we develop product, we have much more in common, I think, uh, with how startups do business mm -hmm. and how startups uh, interact team-wise than with uh, you know, bigger scale, 
quote, mature companies. Do you have any lessons learned from, you know, actually getting money for the company and then actually buying, buying out the investors? We, uh, we had some external uh, investors, institutional investors, um, buy a stake in the company many years ago, for a, actually for a pretty good amount, and, um, uh, and then we ended up buying, buying those shares back uh, uh, just last year. And I think in the, at the end of the day, given the circumstances, it was a win-win. For the company, I think uh, learning has been that um, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit distracting mm. to have um, a whole bunch of different people to report to as far as investors and employees and customers too. You know, we have to do what's best for the company and at the end of the day, that means you know, really doing what's best for our customers. Mm -hmm. Some things have changed from us buying out our investors, other things have not changed. We still have a you know, real rock star board. We're still you know, swinging for the fences in terms of trying to build a really big, impactful and lasting business. Mm -hmm. But I think not having to worry about institutional uh, investor motivations has been uh, a relief for us. So we can really just very cleanly focus on what's best for the company. Mm. I suppose another learning has been that um, it's, it's difficult to be a VC or an institutional investor. You know, your first and foremost constituency you're serving is your uh, limited partners, the investors in the VC fund. And that's what your job performance is measured on is what is the return that you're providing for the VC. That doesn't have a whole lot of overlap with what, what, what makes for the best operator of a business. Yeah. Um, and most board meetings, most of the you know, critical decisions that take place you know, every quarter when we have a board meeting, not like the once every five year kind of decisions, but the ongoing decisions, they're not um, about uh, investment performance type of stuff. They're about how to operate the business. Had I realized and known that better um, at the time that we took institutional money, I probably could have done a better job in managing my board. You know, I just talked to a lot of young startups. I don't think they realize that, that their brain is going to be split in so many different directions with their, their board that has different opinions and different stakeholders and mm -hmm. their customers and their employees and the businesses and the products. And it's, it's challenging. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's awesome that you've been able to do that. Do you feel all this kind of creative product room space available for you now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, much better. Yeah. Much better. What are the challenges you faced with you know, taking a company and then you know, you're, you're reinventing yourself and, and adding new things all the time right now? The fortunate thing for us is uh, we're just trying to serve our customers better. And uh, we discovered that among our uh, user base of over 50 million unique users per month, a staggering portion of them are actually business users who are coming to whitepages.com or some of the other websites that we operate, like 411.com, and they're doing searches for contact info uh, for business purposes. So they might be doing identity validation or fraud screening or um, uh, you know, uh, special investigations uh, for, for some reason trying to locate an individual. Yeah. It turns out that actually over 20% of our audience or over 10 million of our users are business users. Mm -hmm. They behave very differently from our regular consumers. And we said to ourselves, we can, we can service these people much better than through the consumer-oriented ad-supported product. And consequently, we launched White Pages Pro, 
which is a B2B oriented service a couple of years ago uh, to service those people better. So that's been an exciting extension to our service offering. Now over time, um, I would expect actually that our B2B revenue that White Pages Pro generates could easily become the significant majority of our company revenue. Hmm. So today it's a tiny little portion, but we're expecting to see significant growth uh, in that business. And then another business that's been taking off really nicely too is, is our uh, mobile business. And you know we have some apps that are more akin to what you see on our traditional uh, websites, hmm. uh, which is really about bringing directory assistance to the masses for free on smartphones. But then we also have some other services like our current caller ID product, which is kind of like a caller ID on steroids service. For various funny reasons, uh, caller ID is only offered on landline phones, mm. in the US at least, and not on mobile. So that's like the one thing that landline phones actually do better than smartphones. Yeah. Um, so we were the first company to bring caller ID to smartphones, and then more recently we launched uh, an app called uh, White Pages Current, hmm. uh, which also embeds or integrates social information from the people that you are connected with on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn into the caller ID environment. So when you receive a phone call or an incoming text message, there's a little alert that pops up about you know who that person is, maybe their latest status, their job title. So you're very informed by the time that you uh, pick up the phone and, and talk with the person who's calling you. That's great. You took a look at the business and you saw, you, you or you had enough data to actually see what was going on and, and where to capture more revenue. And do you, do you have any advice for other other local startups and around that and on how to how to look for that? I'm a really big fan of using data and metrics to understand how your users are using your product or service. We religiously use, for example, Google Analytics um, to track how our users are actually behaving on the website. And I think metrics actually just in general can be uh, real helpful for understanding what your users are doing currently. Personally, I'm a little bit less of a fan of you know, running surveys and studies um, uh, to ask your users uh, what to do. Mm -hmm. That's kind of our job is to figure out you know, how they're using our website and consequently what can we do better for them. Yeah. It's tough to ask customers how do we innovate better for you because you know, there's certain dots that only a few people can connect. Yeah. I think users are really good though for explaining what their needs are um, and so on. Well, let's go back to the beginning, young Alex, and what did you want to do or be growing up? Um, I wanted to build things. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I had a little shop downstairs in the basement where I thought I was inventing by taking apart phones and stuff like that. Really, I was just breaking things. Uh, I knew I, I wanted to do something around inventing and building. I don't think I had in the cards, you know, actually running a business or running mm -hmm. a company. So you didn't envision yourself being a CEO of a successful company when you were little. No, I, I, I um. Um, I think if you'd asked me when I was younger, or even when I was in my teens, uh, you know, what a CEO does, I, I, I think it would have felt way too much like, uh, you know, uh, too much oriented around leading people and so on. And I don't think I really saw myself as much as a, you know, naturally as a people leader, as uh, a person who, who builds product and maybe innovates. Now, I really enjoy my job. 
uh, but I look at uh, my job as CEO more as a necessary means to be able to innovate and create product, and not because I always wanted to be a CEO or something like that. Yeah. Or what was that path like getting into technology? I guess I had a VIC-20 uh, computer when I was six years old, 1980. And I started mucking around with that, playing some games. So it was very easy, you know, easily accessible for doing some programming too with, with basic. Mm. So, um, you know, I mucked around a little bit with, with basic code. And I think that's, you know, had a great time with that. And, uh, and I think that's really when I first got exposed to computers. And then on through high school and, and college, were you studying uh, computer science or what, what was yeah, that? Yeah, and actually not so much in, in, uh, in high school, but then um, uh, in college I, I definitely got back into it again. And um, you know, I was in, the, in Silicon Valley, so fairly tech-oriented kind of atmosphere just yeah. in general. I actually ended up doing a bunch of product design and uh, mechatronics, which is you know, kind of like the intersection of computer science and mechanical engineering um, uh, and design for that matter. So I spent more time on computers there again. And, um, and this was in the mid to late 90s. And at that time, the internet was taking off. And I was down in the Bay Area anyway. Yeah. And kind of got caught up in that whole thing. So what, where were you? What were you doing when you thought of this business? I was doing an internship um, uh, at an investment bank, Morgan Stanley, which was kind of like the hot investment bank on Sand Hill Road that took all these new internet companies public. They'd taken Netscape public the year before, and they'd just taken Yahoo public. And I said to myself, hey, this is going to go somewhere. The internet's really taking off, and there's so many ideas that need to be brought online. And I thought it would be neat to start some sort of contact or people directory service. I did some research online uh, the, the next day after I had this idea to start some sort of people directory and figured that whitepages.com would be a natural place to, to start the business. Turned out that there was some squatter on the website, so I offered mm. to, uh, to buy the site from him, and, um, and then from there on, you know, basically built a website around it. What's been your biggest learning experience to date? A whole bunch of things I could pick on, I guess. As far as building white pages, um, it's really all about the people. And that's actually something I learned working at Goldman Sachs, too. They are a very uh, obsessed culture about hiring the best possible people. You know, they have a motto uh, that our people are our business. And I think it's the exact same thing at White Pages. Um, everything that we produce is virtual. It's a very fast-moving industry, so the shelf life of our product is incredibly low. We have to keep on innovating. And I think what I learned is, um, and have come to appreciate over time, is the importance of attracting the best and brightest and most passionate people. And then also doing a good job and the value of retaining those people once you've attracted them. It's super competitive environment out there. How do you find, uh, attract, and, and keep talent? Oh, it's absolutely a war for talent out there. I mean, I suppose we could always lower our, our hiring standards and we could fill all open positions right away, but we're not willing to do that. So it's challenging because we have a lot of uh, uh, recruiting needs, um, and I think our team is going to go a lot over the next year. At the same time, we want to keep the standards high. Yeah. You know, first and foremost, I, I think a lot of our best recruits came from, from networking. Our team of, you know, 100-plus employees, the 
the size of our overall network, professional network, you know, is probably somewhere between 10 and 100,000 people altogether. Um, so I think just, you know, picking through the, the people in that network where we know that there's good cultural personal alignment um, as well um, is always a good starting point. But in addition to that, uh, we've also been investing in, in creating the best possible working environment. So there's a lot of things um, um, as far as you know, creating an office uh, environment uh, that's really conducive toward teamwork and interaction. So, and, and, and another thing, I suppose, is that we're really trying to take care of our employees uh, you know, better than we ever have before unlimited vacation plans and we're doing an annual trip. Uh, last year we did Whistler, this year we're doing Las Vegas for the whole company. Um, you know, we're so small and every employee makes such a big impact because um, of that ratio of, you know, relatively few employees yeah. compared to a very large audience. We just can't overinvest in, in uh, keeping our employees happy and, and, and productive. If you could go back to the start of your career, what advice would you give yourself? I would advise myself to focus on learning, to focus on lifelong learning. Don't optimize uh, uh, your career uh, on kind of like a one or two year time frame. Optimize it for like a 10 year time frame. And when you take that longer term perspective, then I think um, it's much more about the learning, it's much more about the people that you work together with than maybe you know what your paycheck is going to be in the next year. Now I think in many cases you actually don't have to make that trade-off anyway. Oftentimes it happens that you know the best companies where you can learn the most also happen to offer the best compensation. So, um, but in some cases maybe that doesn't overlap. What do you actively do now that that makes you successful? You know, first and foremost, it's about focus, uh, focusing on uh, what our users and customers want. Um, but also focusing on, on relatively few things and setting ourselves up for success. Um, the internet is such an incredibly competitive market and information flows very rapidly about which company offers the best service. And the internet market, just in general, is a winner-take-all market. Everyone gravitates toward the number one product. It's great to be number one, it sucks to be number two. And in order to be number one in something, um, you, know, you have to put a lot of resources and really focus on it. And I think, you know, as a company, White Pages, with our relatively small size of only 130 employees, you know, we can focus maybe on two or three things mm -hmm. and be a clear leader on that. We can't do 10 things at once. What's the biggest difference in running a tech company today than when you first started? I think the interesting things about uh, running a tech company these days is that the barriers to entry for creating and launching new products are so much lower. There's you know, great open source technology. Most things can be built on open source. When I started the business, you had to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to the likes of Oracle and Sun and so on to just get anything off the ground. Yeah. Also, there's much more know-how and expertise in uh, building web product. Um, I think that's another thing that's different. And, you know, Amazingly, I thought that the internet was a fast-moving industry maybe 10 years ago. It just keeps on moving faster and faster and faster every day, and information flows ever more quickly. What about the future of your industry? Where, where do you see it going in 5, 10 years? In, in 5 to 10 years, I think it's going to be increasingly more about 
the data about companies doing uh, interesting things as far as building structured databases that are relevant to some specific purpose. And the companies that can organize and structure the data, make it accessible for certain types of applications, I think they will um, end up building very big businesses. And obviously there's a few you know, big companies that have done that in social networking and professional networking and so on. Um, I think White Pages has a great opportunity ahead of itself in building uh, a whole different type of database around contact information. Mm. As far as we're concerned, uh, we're very excited about building the contact graph. That's what we'd like to call it. So what is the contact graph? The contact graph is basically the data model that White Pages is building. Mm. Um, and in the same way that Facebook has mapped out how the world looks, based on social relationships. You know, the deli on the street corner, the significance of that in the world is all based on what your friends are saying about it. And in the LinkedIn world, where they built a professional graph, if you will, the relevance of, for example, a blog post or article is all based on what your professional contacts think about it. At White Pages, we're building a contact graph that, um, that, that maps out how people and businesses in the world are connected based on contact information. How are people and businesses connected based on phone numbers and addresses and emails and so forth? First of all, we're actually well on our way to doing this. We're ingesting an enormous amount of information, over a billion records per month. And so we have more data than we know what we can do with. The real challenge is in, is in organizing and structuring this data mm. in a clean way. But there's an enormous number of applications that can be built on top of this. And we've built some of those applications already ourselves. In other cases, we might make our data accessible through API to let third parties build applications on our contact graph. What's exciting you most about technology in general in the next five to 10 years? Are you looking forward to anything? Well, you know, so I have a company perspective, and there again, it's, it's, it's all about building structured data for certain purposes, in our case, a contact graph. And I do think, generally, that we can make a huge impact in the world if we execute well on building the contact graph. It's a big investment initiative. It's a multi-year kind of thing. On the personal side, um, these days, um, I know it's, it's kind of a you know, uh, thing that's in vogue, but I can't help but say I'm really excited about wearable devices. Mm. Are you going to wear a Google Glass? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> At some point, I'm sure I will. What is your best story about working in the trenches of technology? I guess you know, there, there's a funny one that came up actually just the other day. Um, back when we were bootstrapping white pages to growth, and uh, I think we were marginally profitable. Um, we were recruiting our first full-time engineer, second full-time engineer. It was this hotshot engineer uh, at Microsoft, and I think he was inclined to accept, so we took him out to dinner. Um, uh, where was it? Some, some not super fancy restaurant, but anyway. We took him out for, for dinner to close him on joining the company. And then when the bill came, uh, my credit card bounced. And this was after we'd been selling him on how we're a profitable company <laughs> and we're more stable than other startups out there because we're actually making money. Um, and then I gave the waitress my other credit card and, and that also was declined. Um, so he actually ended up paying for the, for the recruiting closing dinner himself. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't join us. Yeah, that is, that is good. That's, that's part of being a startup, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is there a technology you would eliminate if you could? 
Well, on, on the internet side, although I think it's almost dead anyway, but I do occasionally come across uh, Flash websites. So if, if Apple or if others could, could join Apple in killing that off as quickly as possible, that would be great. I think the internet would be better as a result. And then another, I don't know if you can call this a technology or not, but I suppose you know, I, just, I can't stand parking meters. <laughs> and there's got to be some way that, um, that someone can bring mobile payments to parking meters in a better way. Um, but unfortunately, all the solutions I've come across so far, as far as uh, uh, paying for parking with mobile, all sucks, <laughs> including pay by text message. So um, there's a lot of opportunity there, too. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you, Alex. Thank you so much for, for, for taking out time out of your busy schedule and doing this interview. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thanks.